I would not be alive today if my sister wasn't murdered. Jude Santacondro. The man who lost 311 pounds. I always was thinking exterior. I'm fat, I need to kind of fix this from the outside in. Body, 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 body. Well, that would last for three or four months, and then I would always fall back to my old patterns. It wasn't until I went to an AA meeting with my sister, who had gotten a DUI, I really listened to other people talk about their alcohol addiction, isolation, celebratory drinking, depressing drinking, just wanting to be alone at the end of the day and drink until they almost were sick, and I thought, man, I do all these things with food. And it was in that moment that I realized I was an addict. Did you find that by getting that gift through a horrific experience with losing your sister, that was that aha moment for you where you're like, oh shit, I've got to walk the walk, I just can't talk the talk and expect them to change. I know for a fact if my sister had not died and I didn't inherit these kids and I didn't want to honor her death by me improving my life, I would not be alive today if my sister wasn't murdered. He sees now why I raised them and was rough on them the way I was. And he says, I don't think I would be in the Marines if it wasn't for you. And this kid said to me, I love my mom that did the end of the universe and I'm mad at my dad for killing her. I'm almost kind of grateful that it happened because had they stuck around. Welcome to the Man Lab, where we combine science and health in the pursuit of making men great again. This is how legends are. Hey guys, welcome back to the Man Lab. So today we've got the biggest loser of New Viva history. Uh, he is down 311 pounds, 311 pounds. It, you hit like 400 at one point though, didn't you? Or is it? Uh... I lost uh, my highest with about 320 pounds down. Jeez. So his name's Jude, the man... Uh, has a six pack, had a six pack. I don't know, you sort of- Still working on that still one. Still working on it. It, it comes and goes. It, yeah, I've seen videos and it is, it's crazy to see the transformation from epic beer gut to mm. epic six pack. And now it's like the transition to just overall healthy mentality. So I'm curious, and you, we spoke about this, where had your event, you had your big, um, coming out party? I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Lack like of a better that. term. <laughs> so I, I learned a lot about you there, which was fantastic. And I'm really excited to share that with people uh -huh. because the thing that really fascinates me about you is that you go into the mentality and the psychology that is the reason why you had that weight put on in the first place. So most people look at it and it's like, it's not that hard. It's hard work. Right. Can you touch on what you have touched on before and what you are going to continue telling people in the future, which is the trauma that's associated, why someone is probably overweight in some circumstances. For me, in my personal journey, I always was thinking exterior. I'm fat. I need to kind of fix this from the, the outside in. Body, 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 body. Well, that would last for three or four months, and then I would always fall back to my old patterns. It wasn't until I went to an AA meeting with my sister who had gotten a DUI, who struggled with drugs and alcohol her whole life, until I really listened to other people talk about their alcohol addiction, um, isolation, you know, celebra celebratory drinking, depressing drinking, you know, just wanting to be alone at the end of the day and drink until they almost were sick. And I thought, man, I do all these things with food. And it was in that moment that I realized I was an addict, not just somebody that was, uh, you know, wanting to improve the way I looked. That, that for me made me realize I needed to start to do the mental work, the mental growth, and approach it from that point. And that's kind of where that ball of twine unwound for, unwound for me. 
and uh, and started to actually work, you know, from the inside out. How long? Because your journey for like people here, three hundred pounds, and like with anything, we we sort of just go, all right. He probably did that in one hit, you mm -hmm. know. L like when we see people building a business, they're like, oh, he just overnight success. Your journey for losing that three hundred pounds was a roller coaster, to say the least. But it started in was it twenty eleven that it started, or it, earlier? It started twenty five thirty. It started. I was in high school trying to lose weight, yo yo mm -hmm. dying, getting up and down. I graduated high school at three hundred pounds, so it's it's been a lifelong thing for me. But it was never, like I said, mentally. It was never from a mental approach. Like, what is wrong with me? What caused this from the very beginning? until I traced back that very moment of my first memory of thinking, this food's calming me down, this food is like balanced, this food is love, It's this food is fuck you dad. Mm. That was the moment that I realized this is where this started and that's where I needed to start my mental growth from that point and undo that that damage and that pattern for myself. And you know, a lot of people now they're like, "Oh, it must be easy now that you've, you know, done this since COVID and you've lost, you know." No, it's not. It's still there. It's always going to be there. Just like, you know, a lot of alcoholics would say to me, "Oh, I've been sober for 38 years. I'm a functioning alcoholic." And I'd be like, what? "Why are you calling yourself an alcoholic when you haven't had a drip of alcohol for 38 years?" That's interesting that you say that cuz that's something I'm very passionate with as well with like the language we speak mm -hmm. about ourselves. It's power. And it, yeah, and like I see it with AA meetings like, hi, I'm uh -huh. Ben, I'm an alcoholic. It's like, but you haven't drunk in two years. And so it's weird that this is like, it has to be my identity, mm -hmm. even though it's no longer my identity. It's deeper than that. And I respect what you're saying, but it's not the identity. Mm. It's the control and I'm in charge factor. I'll actually sit down with a 500 pound guy and try to counsel him and give him a little bit of my perspective. And I'll say guys like us and they get offended with me. Like, what are you talking about? You're not like me anymore. I said, yes, I am. I'm a fat person. I'm an obese person with, a, with an eating disorder. If somebody walked through this, this studio right now with some fresh chicken wings and some pizza, I'm gonna get a craving. Mm. Just like a heroin addict that would be like, oh shoot, he's shooting heroin over there. He might not have banged heroin for 10 years, but he's gonna have that, oh, that demon's still gonna be there. Every minute of every day, it's still there. So in that sense, I am a fat person. I am an obese person on the inside. And I have to always be thinking that way, mm. which is, it's tough. Is Because I mean, if chicken came in right now, I'd crave it. But I wouldn't, it's, it's, I wouldn't classify myself as a fat person. Well, we're person. talking about, a, you know, I, I would sit down and eat 48 chicken wings and then a half a gallon ice cream. Okay. I'd so we're not sick. talking about an average guy <laughs> yeah. eating 10 chicken wings here. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I was having you a know? couple wings. I, I, would, I would have enough chicken wings to the point where... I was ready to vomit and I would look, oh, I got 10 more left. Well, let me watch a movie and see how I feel and I'll eat them. Mm. And I'd usually end up eating them before the movie was over. So yeah. when you think of an alcoholic who, who drinks to the point where they end up in the hospital because they have alcohol poisoning, I'm sure you love the drink here and there too, but you don't do that. Mm. It gets excessive and it's eating disorder. I don't care if you're losing weight from your eating disorder or if you're gaining weight, it starts out kind of in the median level. And then it kind of can go further on each end of that spectrum. The longer you bang heroin, the longer you drink alcohol. Nobody starts out with an alcoholic problem the first day, having two-fifths of vodka in a day. You work up to that. And the longer you go with any substance, the more your body's going to need more and more and more and more. And eventually, it just gets completely 
out of control. Yeah. And that's how, for me, it was food. Optimizing your health should be one of your main priorities in life. If we don't have good health, we cannot do so many things. We can't look after our family. We can't operate the best we can in business. We can't even be enjoying life to the full potential. Thankfully, we have T-Clinics USA who will help optimize your health through a detailed blood panel, looking at your hormone regulation, looking at any deficiencies you may have, and it could even be simple things such as improving your sleep that can help improve your output, your energy, and how you feel day to day. After that, they will see whether or not you are eligible for TRT, the thing I really love about T-Clinics USA is they don't just try and sell everyone on TRT because as you know, once you're on it, you are on it for life. So there might be other options with testosterone boosting therapies to help the gonads produce a bit more testosterone rather than replacing it. Or if it's peptides, unfortunately, some have recently been banned by the FDA, but there are other peptides that we can go around it, fully legal, that will help the body still be optimized. So if you want to make use of that, T-Clinics does offer 10% off your first package purchase with them if you're a Man Lab listener. All you've got to do is head to bit.ly forward slash T-Clinics USA. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash T-Clinics USA. Mention the Man Lab and you will get 10% off your first package with them. So that's bit.ly forward slash T-Clinics USA. And if you don't want to remember that, the link is in the description. Now let's get back to the show. And you touched on at the start about um, fuck you, dad. Mm -hmm. Can you share that story about what it was like growing up and how you associated food with a lot of emotional connections? My dad was a drug addict and an alcoholic and he would, he would say horrible things to us like, you kids were mistakes, I never should have had you guys, you're pricks of misery, you ruined my life, you were all your mom's idea. And I just from a very early age was angry with him. Like, well, why the fuck did you have us? You know what I'm saying? Why'd you have kids? This was your choice. You should live with it. You know what I'm saying? But he was, he never wanted to be home. And when he was home, he was very edgy and, you know, aggravated. And, you know, it wasn't all bad. It was, there was a lot of good things, a lot of good memories. He would have, just like with my moments of clarity and doing well and finding my balance with food and my addiction, he would have those times. And those were good memories. But he would choose to go out after work and one of two things would happen. He would either come home drunk and cause violence or he would disappear for three days. Well, if whether he was coming home late or not coming home at all, my mother would hold dinner because she was afraid he would wreak havoc on the family when he'd go home and we'd be starving. And then she'd finally say, okay, your dad's not coming home. Let's eat, kids. And I just remember sitting down to a plate of food thinking, okay, this food kind of represents this moment where we're not going to have drama tonight. I'm starving, it's gonna feel good. I look around at my siblings, we're gonna have two or three days of peace because this guy's not gonna come home. And then my mom would offer me more food because my dad wasn't there. And, hey Jude, you want your dad's portion too? And I was angry with him and scared of him. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, give me his food. And it was kind of like a knife in the back of my dad. Like, uh, screw you dad, I'm gonna eat yours too. And I think that's where that shift happened for me. Like associating food with peace and tranquility and love and balance and a lack of that chaos that I knew was not gonna be there. Mm. And that, that traveled throughout the years. How long did it take you until you realized that connection? Well, that, that was in my childhood. So five, six, seven, eight years old, and I'm, I'm about to be 49. I didn't really figure that out until probably 45 years old. Yeah. Through, you know, personal growth work and just prayer and meditation and really just reflection, thinking about it myself, like, how the fuck did this happen? 
and it just made sense. And once I really realized that, I can't say it was easy. And it's still, I mean, I, I can get angry in traffic at somebody and want to rip their throat out. <laughs> and I'll smell checkers in that moment, driving or a Burger King. And I instantly think, oh, you know what? I haven't had lunch yet. And I'll literally start thinking, like, where am I going to eat? And I'm smelling that. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. This is emotional. Mm. I'm upset right now. I'm edgy. I'm, I'm in my emotional state. And I'm thinking of food. Am I really hungry right now? Or am I pissed off at dad right now? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when I have that thought process, let me wait an hour. Let me calm down. Let me listen to some good music. Let me meditate. Let me see if I'm really hungry in an hour. Let me look at my macronutrients. Let me look what I've tracked today. We'll see where I'm at. I'm like, well, I'm actually ahead of my calories and my protein and my fats and carbs. Like, why am I hungry? It's here. Mm. So you have to stop and really question yourself. Is this emotional? Is it, phys is it physical? What is it? You know, and that's that's what I do now. Interesting. Yeah. And how long did, actually before we get to that, uh, you you spoke about you had a gastric, uh, not a, uh, like a bypass? Or I, had, I had lap what's band. called a uh, lap band in lap 2007. Band. I was 460 at the time. And you said that it didn't work. Can you run us through why it didn't work? In the beginning, I was petrified to eat because they tell you it can slip if you overeat, it can rip, it can tear. But once I kind of learned, and this is just more testament that it's mental. Once I learned and I practiced and I kind of, you know, experimented with it, I would feel pressure where the band was and then I would feel my heart beat. I don't know if it was just expanding enough that it was touching my heart or something, <laughs> but I would feel my pulse and then I'd feel a little pressure and it would go through. And I learned that the lap band was almost like priming a well at a camp. My grandfather used to have a camp and you had to pump the well for like four minutes. And then once it started running, if you just had to pump it slowly and the water would keep coming. Well, I learned my lap band would do the same thing. I could just eat my 48 chicken wings, but it would take me an hour now. So I would bring my kids with me and be like, oh, there's a game room back there, kids. Go play, you know, pinball and video games. And, 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 and Uncle Drew's going to sit here and watch the game, wow. quote unquote. And I would be like, hey, I'm being a good parent. I got my kids busy. I'm having fun. I'm supporting my friend's sports bar and I'm eating slow. So, because again, everyone thinks it's just the physical. It was really, it, and this seems like it's a very common story amongst a lot of people to get lap band surgery. Yeah. It's, any even diets or whatever, it's like, oh, if I do the thing, I get the thing and I own that health now. I, it's, you know, that famous meme that I've seen, on, which is uh, you never own your health. You rent it and you pay it daily. Mm -hmm. And it seems like the lap band is really just uh, people think, oh, cool, now I own my weight loss. No. And what you have shifted and what you, you go into a lot is that didn't work. Instead, you figured out how to work around it. Absolutely. And then it Revert. How much? How much weight did you lose, and how much weight did you put back on after? I was four sixty uh, when I got the lap band. I lost about sixty pounds. That was in probably into um, about two thousand and eight, and then I skyrocketed to my highest weight after the lap band. I was at five forty at one point. I was about five hundred pounds when I came and talked to you. But to me, bariatric surgery is no different than a chain smoker trying to sew their lips shut. If you ch if you sewed or super glued somebody's lips shut, saying, "Hey, you can't smoke now." If they're desperate enough to still smoke, they're going to smoke through their nose. Yeah. Mm. It's no different. You know, I had corrective surgery in 2000. You know, I learned to live with the lap band. I regretted it. And I don't 
I'm actually thankful that that happened because that was part of my process in realizing and admitting that it was a mental problem for me. In 2017, I started having issues. I was waking up with coagulated blood on the side of my face. They put a scope down there and they said, hey, your band has eroded through your stomach. We can see the, out the inside of your band on the inner lining of your stomach. So I said, well, what are we going to do? He's like, we're going to have to have to take it out and just, you know, take out that damaged scar tissue where your stomach is and, and sew it back together. So I said, all right. So then he said, well, are you interested in getting a gastric sleeve when you come in? And I'm like, well, what's that? He goes, we remove 80, 90% of your stomach and you just have a tube that goes right. To, and I'm like, well, you know, I did my research. And I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. I was going to do it again. Ugh. Let's do it. And I'm like, maybe this one will work. I'm desperate, you know. Well, I signed the papers, this, that, and the other, woke up, and I'm in recovery, and they said, hey, we couldn't give you the sleeve. It was too much damage. They had to, you know, they had to patch it together. The doctor didn't feel like with what he saw that you were a good candidate for, and I thought, oh, man, now I'm back to where I was before. But from that surgery in 2017, I had the same thing, phobia of eating, because he's like, if you stretch this, these sutures on the inside of your stomach, sutures on the outside of your stomach, you're, you know, you're going to make a full recovery. But if you overeat in the beginning, so there was a good six or seven months where I was afraid to eat, but then I did the same thing. Yeah. I experimented. And that, that's a common problem with gastric bypass, gastric sleeve. You know, a lot of people tend they get it done. They, they don't have intentions of maybe changing habits. They tell you to right. very, eat very little. Mm. And so what happens is, People aren't hungry. It's hard for them to eat. They starve the weight off, which is kind of what set him up for a rebound. And it is, it, he's, it's common, right? It happens with a lot of people. They get it done. They don't eat. They lose a crap ton of weight. The body downregulates the metabolism. And then eventually get to the point where they find a way to eat around it right. or they find a way to get liquid calories in. And then all of a sudden, because they didn't fix the fundamentals, they didn't fix the nutrition, they didn't fix the other things that were the cause of the problem, and they put all that weight back on, and then some, i.e., you rebounded post that, almost, what, 540 was your biggest? Yeah. And that was, like, when I, we met, I think, yeah. 2008, 2009, mm -hmm. you were at your heaviest. Wow. Well, a, a lot of people who do keep the weight off after gastric bypass, now they're cigarette smokers or gamblers or drinkers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize they just jumped their addiction. Mm -hmm. Um Many people that have asked for my personal advice, and I'm no professional, I'm not a trainer, I'm not a, a psychologist, but I know what I know from my personal story. They'll ask me, like, hey, I'm thinking about getting this gastric bypass, and I say, listen, I'm not saying don't do it. You know, I, f I went down that road twice, and it's I still could out-eat it. But what I am saying, if that's the avenue that's going to work for you, make sure you do the mental part of it first. Because you might have a short-term success. And in my opinion, when you do lose that kind of weight that fast and you're starving your body, I can tell from across the room a guy my age who's lost weight the way I did with training and nutrition because he looks healthy and he looks strong. Mm. As opposed to a guy my age who had gastric bypass and lost 200 pounds in one, one year. He looks deflated. He's got Skinny no shoulders. Fat. His neck is looks like it's too. It looks like an ostrich. Yeah. You know, like a mid, a big midsection and like a skinny neck, like a giraffe. Like what they're calling a zempic face right yeah. now. Yeah. They look like they're dying. Skinny you know? fat. Yeah, they look like a wet blanket hanging on a coat hanger. And for me, I didn't <laughs> want to look like that. You know, and at one point after I lost three hundred pounds, I did kind of look. I looked like a saggy hot scrotum in the gym <laughs> but that's where i wanted to show what i showed the other night like hey i'm no bodybuilder i'm no male model but i'm presentable mm. i'm an average in shape people i like when people say to me at the gym you're 49 like dude you, i thought you were like 40 or 38 I'm like 
my, take my, it. <laughs> my main dream when I started, two two main goals I, I set out. I wrote them on my vision board. I wanted people to meet me and say, that's not possible. That's not real. And then me convinced them that it was. But I also, I set a goal. I said, I want a, a man who's younger than myself, who doesn't know my story, to approach me in a, in a, either at the gym or at the beach and say, hey, you know, I'm trying to get this happening or whatever. What, can you give me a little advice about that? And I didn't think I was anywhere near those two things, but I started getting attacked on social media that I was a fake and I was a fraud and that wasn't possible. And I was upset at first. I was in emotion about it. And I'd start that little comment war. And then it hit me. I'm like, wait a minute. The universe is giving me exactly what I asked for. I'm being doubted here. And it, it gave me like goosebumps. I'm like, thank you. I started thanking people in the comments. Like, well, why? They wanted to fight with me. And I said, no, mm -hmm. thank you, because I wanted people to say that this is impossible. You've made me realize I've attained something that I set out to do. And then uh, I was at the gym one day, and this, this, you know those guys who have the big arms, the big shoulders, and they got the like, little popsicle sticks legs? <laughs> I'm doing legs one day in the gym, and he comes up Jeff to me. Jeff felt guilty for a second. He's like, <laughs> no, my <laughs> legs are good. Not, I'm pretty good. I've seen you fairly. Yeah. I mean, being as big as I was and doing all these stairs all this time, I just have big legs. I'm a bed and barber for 25. Like, I wish my legs were a little smaller, to be honest with you. I look like a Tyrannosaurus Rex when I'm naked. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, he comes up to me and he's like, hey, bro, I don't mean to be weird or anything. And good looking young guy, probably about 24 years old. I'm actually was asking him advice about shoulders and arms. And he goes, dude, my legs, I'm embarrassed. I always wear sweatpants. And he's like, I'm going to pull my shorts down and show you my legs. I'm not being weird. I said, all right, go ahead. I got no problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go in the locker room. So he pulls him down. He had really skinny legs. And he asked my advice. And at first I gave him some comedy. I'm like, well, here's what you do. How much do you weigh? He's like, 164. I'm like, you need to gain 400 pounds. <laughs> Carry that for 20 years. Become a barber. Stand for 12 hours a day for 20 years. And he's looking at me like, what? I go, then when you're like 40, start climbing 360 flights of stairs six days a week. And I go, dude, your legs will be jacked. He's like, what are you going on? Then I showed him some social media stuff. And he's like, oh, man. I go, I'm actually trying to get my legs to lean down a little bit. And I can't, mm. you know. But um, I realized I was driving home that night. And I thought... That was goal number two. It just happened. An in-shape younger guy, didn't know I used to be 540 pounds, asked my advice about something. So sometimes, you know, it's like people say, you pray to God. You, let's say you pray to God like, oh, man, I wish somebody bring me a nice carrot cake on my birthday. And then your birthday comes and you're like, shit, nobody brought me a carrot cake. What the hell? Well, maybe God had somebody bring you flour and sugar and carrots and eggs and you got all these 12 presents, but nobody brought you a carrot cake. Well, sometimes you get everything you need. You just need to make your own freaking carrot cake. Mm. So it doesn't come in the way you expect it that it comes. Like mine didn't come. I didn't expect that my compliment would come as insults on the internet, but it did. So all the way you look at things, is the glass half empty or is it half full? Yeah. So that, that whole outlook is it's whether you're choosing to be a victim or a survivor of something or you're going to be negative or you're going to be positive. It's all a mindset for me. Yeah. Um, so to backtrack a little too, there, you had a very life altering experience in 2011 with your sister. Mm -hmm. Can you run us through what happened and how her losing her life ended up saving yours? Well, my sister always struggled with alcohol. That's like I said earlier, we went to the AA meeting and, uh, I would always kind of attack her for it. Like, that. you know, we knew dad had this problem. What happened to you? So, you know, and she was the one person that ever came to me and said, hey, you're way too fat. 
Mm. You need to do something. Then it became like a battle between us. Like, well, you're an alcoholic. Well, you're a fatty. So it never really, you know, it wasn't until I lost her that I respected that she did that and took a stand for me. But um, her passing was the one, some of the worst times of my life, but some of the best gifts came from it. And uh, ended up inheriting her kids and raising them, one of which already had an obesity problem at six years old when I got them. So that was a big factor in my own progression because I wanted to lead by example. But um, just knowing that I was responsible for these kids and knowing that I had to be around, that I had to lead by example, and just stopping that cycle. She picked a husband that was exactly like our father, abusive and chaos and mayhem, but he ended up killing her. So, And she was still in her addiction when she died. They were doing pills and drinking, and I know they were. She wouldn't admit it, but I could tell, you know. And that's one of the things that we talked about with addiction and the manipulation and how you trick yourself. Her, her trickery was always, I'm going to fix him. I'm going to get him to see the light. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to get him to church. But that was really her own addiction manipulating her into staying in that situation, just like my mother did my whole life with her, her husband. So seeing that and realizing that and equating her struggles and her addictions and her that manipulation that was happening to her, I'm like, well... Maybe I got all the same shit, but it's just something like we just talked about, a different shape, a different form. So that was a huge gift combined with the fact that I've got her kids. I don't want them to, to grow up with these problems and just realizing I needed to be around for them. And, I, and on a side note, like I always knew, like people now, they say, I'm sure when you guys watch the video of me and like, you think, how does he have all this media from 20 years of being fat and all this surgery and all this? Well, I knew like my intuition deep down inside, I always knew that this was something that I would conquer. I don't know how I knew it, but I knew it. So I wanted to document every single step of the way. Even when I would fail and gain weight, I would document it. Some of the clips you guys saw like in the, mm. in the video there where I was like just looking in the mirror like, oh, you're disgusting. That was me failing. Mm. But I wanted, to, I wanted to remember when I was doing better. That's, I remember how I felt in that. I remember that very moment. I remember thinking this this is going to motivate me someday when I'm fit and I want to cheat. I'm going to look at this video and be like, no, I'm not going back to that. Just a quick note, we are determined to continue providing as much information as possible to you and the rest of the audience in relation to optimizing their health. Now, the best way we can keep doing that is by suggestions from you. But more importantly, if you are part of the 85% of listeners that are not subscribed to this channel yet on this platform, we do ask, can you please subscribe so that you are updated every time a new episode comes out. And also leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening to with some suggestions or questions you might have so that we can continue getting ideas and providing more information for you week after week. Now let's get back to the show. With, with um, inheriting the boys, I guess is the right term. Um, I, personally, I've always said that having kids, how your kids turn, up, turn out is a... 90% indication of how you led and how you treated them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like they say our kids are a direct reflection of who we really are. Um, that I've always said, like, if, if you want them to live a healthy, happy life, you have to live it because they're going to copy you. Right. Did you find that by getting that gift through a horrific experience with losing your sister, that that was that aha moment for you where you're like, oh shit, I can't, I've got to walk the walk. I just can't talk the talk and expect them to change. Right. 
when I first inherited the boys, I was more on their case and saying, I would show them what I'm doing and say, hey, you don't want to be like me. So you're going to eat this, but I'm still going to eat that. And even my kids at, you know, four and six and seven and nine around that age where I was still doing that, they would be, I could see on their face like, what the fuck is this? It's mm. not fair. Mm. But I'm like, hey, I'm, it's too late for me. It's hypocritical. <laughs> I was still trying to like make sure, but then I was like, this isn't going to work. But to answer your question, yeah. And there, there was a time where I struggled with that or spells, like as you know, mm -hmm. well know, and I yeah. come back and forth. But it, I, there did come a turning point, especially as my kid hit adolescence. I'm like, I can't do this. He, he This is going to be tough for him. He's still chubby. He's still struggling. So absolutely, to answer your question, yes. But on the flip end of that, you know, there was a lot of headbutting with him. And he did struggle back and forth a few times. But he recently reached out to me. He's in the Marines serving in San Diego. And he reached out to me. And he straight up told me in, in some messages that he sent me that he, he sees now why I raised him and was rough on him the way I was. And he appreciates it. And he says, I don't think I would be in the Marines if it wasn't for you. And this kid said to me, I love my mom that did the end of the universe. And I'm mad at my dad for killing her. But he goes, I wish none of that happened. But he said, I'm almost kind of grateful that it happened because had they stuck around and they raised me, he goes, I'd probably be a fat loser now and a drug addict mm. and not in the Marines. So thank you. And he literally told me that someday he wants his kids to come spend the weekend with me because he wants me to instill in, into his kids what I instilled in him. And that was my aha moment. That was the moment where I realized this is now a grown man who's lean and mean and he's in the Marines. You talked about things reflecting of who you are. Like, that's how I feel now. Like, I, I never went into the military or did any of that stuff, but I wish I could have and better been, would have been ready for that, but I wasn't. So that I respect that you said that because that, that's kind of a compliment to me that he is a reflection of who I am now, mm -hmm. not of who I was then. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, the, I, I know being my childhood, it's like whenever I got advice, that's this, the exact thing you – like you always think, well, fuck you, you don't do that. Right. And it's a very hard, like, you know, I'm sure there was advice that your parents gave, your parents gave that same situation. They're like, you should do this. And you're like, back of your head, you're like, motherfucker, you don't do exactly. that. And we always, you know, they always say you end up becoming your parents, which mm -hmm. is fucking terrifying sometimes. And, you know, so it is interesting that, and really in, when I heard that story about you adopting, I was for me, with my own bias or my own experience with my daughter, that's when I was like, oh shit, like right. it's it is a real confronting thing when you see somebody that you're responsible for. And then very few people don't make that awareness. They usually they externalize the problems and it's like, oh, he's acting this way because he's a bad boy, a bad kid or whatever right. like that, versus like maybe I'm a shit parent. Yeah. So there was a there was many things like including like I said earlier that my father would call us pricks of misery and that he never wanted us and we were all our mother's idea. Even at times where it got tough with my kids, and there was many times I'm like, how what's the, the cutoff age where you can drop off little kids at a fire station? Because <laughs> <laughs> like, it's too late. Let me see what, how old are they. <laughs> Even on those days where I would have difficulties with with them. And I would start to feel like they might be thinking like, oh, here's another person that wishes that we weren't here. I would always tell my kids, listen, I never wanted kids, but I wanted you guys. Mm. I didn't have to do this with you guys. I wanted you. You fought for them. I did. Yeah, oh, I it was a for battle. Yeah. yeah, I remember. I spent 20 grand in legal fees getting yeah. them away. Because the yeah. father, their father killed my sister. Mm. 
and got away with it. And so did you know that at the time? I knew instinctively that he did it just by looking at him in the eyes and like, I want to know what you did to her. And he couldn't look at And he hated me. Mm. He hated me because I'm a problem solver. Even when I was obese. See, that's another thing I wanted to touch on. I would fix everybody else around me. I would be in their business. I would, cause it was like, I, I see now, like I, I felt like I was the rock of my family. I always had a common sense with 98% of everything except this 2% obese thing I could not get a hold of. But I realized now I was putting all my time and effort into fixing everybody else and not myself and thinking that that made me strong. When in reality, it was really making me weak because if I had continued being in everybody else's business and fixing and cleaning everything up, I would have eventually died from my own weakness. So when you asked earlier, like, what's the biggest gift I got from my sister dying? I know for a fact, if my sister had not died and I didn't inherit these kids and I didn't like want to honor her death by me improving my life, I would be the one that would be, have been deceased, not her. So I think that a lot of times I talked a lot about in my event about looking at other people with problems and judging them. And we're looking down and criticizing. Yeah, run, really... us, run us through that because a lot of, obviously the listeners probably weren't there. Yeah. Because um, that's, that's, that's something I've never really thought about. Um, I do come with an empathetic viewpoint, like, you know, because I, even from a selfish point, I'm like, if I keep judging that, that fucks up my internal being. Mm-hmm. So I need to improve the empathy because I've been doing shit. But I've never heard it, you put it like a different way which was kind of interesting. For me personally, when I talked about what my older stepbrother did to me, you know, all that abuse and the sexual abuse and the physical abuse and humiliation, that contributed a lot to my, probably my depression and anxiety from an early age. It wasn't just my father. Mm. But when I finally got to the nucleus of my own personal problem and I, and I really wanted people to understand all this abuse and all this dysfunction and all this feeling of being unwanted or laughed at, that's what made me feel safe in my addiction. So when I realized that for myself and I started to unwind that and undo that programming, then I thought, well, you're being a real asshole if you're still looking down your nose at a lady laying in a ditch on the side of the street that's high on heroin. Why am I judging her when my addiction could have been heroin? It's just, I I guess I was fortunate in a way that it wasn't. So now when I would look at people and I would challenge myself, when I was 500 pounds and stuff on my face in a restaurant and I'd see an obese guy walk by, I'd feel disgust and judgment towards him. Hmm. Well, after I lost 300 pounds and I'm sitting there eating, you know, cucumbers and chicken breasts on my salad and I see a big fat guy waddling by, that's when I realized I had really transformed internally because now I look at him, I'm like, oh man, that poor guy. I know how that feels. I look at his feet, look at his ankles all swollen. I look at him breathing through his mouth and sweating and he's ordering a bunch of junk. And I, I have this longing to be like, I wish he knew my journey. I wish he could come sit with me and be like, hey, I know you from the internet. Instead of me ordering this pizza I'm about to eat, can you help me? And when I started looking at him from a, that point of empathy and sympathy and, and like willingness to want to help him, I knew that I had evolved. So I started challenging myself Anyone who's got a, you know, I used to see someone even smoking at a red light. I still struggle with this one. Someone smoking at a red light with their windows up with kids in the car. I just like, what a fucking pig, dude. Mm. You know what you're doing here? And I'm like, stop, stop. There was times where you were driving in the car with your boys and you're all stuffing your, your faces with McNuggets and Big Macs. What's the difference? Mm. You were hurting them. You were hurting yourself. People might have looked at you at a red light at one point and been like, look at this fat ass look at this little fat kid in the back there, you know, look what he's doing, another generation of that. So 
Why am I judging that lady that's smoking with her grandkids in the back seat? I'm no better. And the minute I started reminding myself, and it's still like I said earlier, I still have to always fight the urge to want to eat. I'm constantly fighting the urge to want to criticize. It even happens in the gym now. Like uh, we were talking about, you know, I had to slow Jeff down a little bit. I'm like, look, I don't, I'm not trying to be Superman because I know Jeff's I'll, always trying to be Jeff's Superman. Jeff's like, let's do this and let's <laughs> pop that. We need some more veins here. You need to do it. And I'm like, Jeff, I respect it. Like that's the next phase for me. This phase right now is like, I just wanted to find my balance. I just wanted to be like the average in shape no, for the first time in my life. I just want to be an average in shape, regular guy that camouflages into society. Have because, a foundation. Yes, healthy, happy, strong, and then let's let's pick up from there and go to the next phase, you know? But my point is sometimes I'm in the gym and I see, you know, every time I go to the gym in the morning or in the night or I'll run over there on lunch, I'm like, this, this asshole's always here. And he's like the guy that's constantly flexing in the mirror the whole time. And I'm like, his addiction is the gym. Mm. And I almost want to criticize him for it. And the last time when I was in that mindset, I was in much better shape last February when I well, got you, sick. You partly were there. I was there. Yeah. And it was like laying in the hospital, recovering from that thing that happened to me. I remember thinking, there's that old saying, don't get so busy making a living that you forget to actually live a life. I love that. And I was laying in the hospital one day and I'm like, what did I do to deserve this? And I thought, you're getting so busy making a physique that you're not making a life. I had lost sight of what I needed to be doing. Mm. And it's all I talked about. I could tell my clients sometimes in the barber chair were like, oh my God, he's talking about his, you know, his glutes again. Yeah. <laughs> I could tell him, I'm like, I don't care. I we, still want to talk about it. Your focus was still the wrong reason. It was. And it was a little bit more of an ego, yeah. ego became, and narcissism. vanity. It was about vanity a little bit more than it was. And that's why I didn't want to train. And let's be honest, you know, my abdomen's been cut open seven times in the last two years. But is it more like, because I was thinking about this the other day. Everyone who's fit in their 20s, myself included. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we pose. We used to pose so much in our 20s, you know, because that's when... You're probably going to look your best, maybe, or you might get better. Capture it now. Yeah. <laughs> right. so, you know, like, it, it, and that's also when you like, as a 20, as your early 20s, that's when you're starting to get a little bit more muscle, a little bit more uh, testosterone that's usable. And like, you're not looking like a kid anymore. You're starting to look right. like a man. That it, I just was thinking about, I'm like, you never had that. I look like a butch lesbian in my yes. 20s. <laughs> yes. But you I never. Did. I look like a dyke. <laughs> but no you never, offense to you anybody. never had that moment in your 20s. And you're mm -mm. now able to live that moment just for a time. Yeah. And I think in February, you peaked your 20s, just like I did. And now my wife's always saying, like, post more photos with you shirtless. I'm like, I'm not a fucking tool. Like, yes, I'm glad with how I look, but that phase is over. That I think you've just come out of your 20s. Right. And you're now going into your 30s health-wise. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think you should shame yourself or like look back like, oh, I was vain. It's like everyone has that moment when they hit fitness and you should. Like you should be proud of that. Yeah, and I think it's a little deeper for me in a way because my body was so fat and so big and sometimes it wasn't like, look at me, I look so good. And I, you know, I look at, I would You're look at my- getting laid too. Yeah. Oh yeah, because I was. Because some yeah. good yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which can also be another well, flip of addiction. Yeah. Well, 
Yeah, and but it was for me. It was getting a little out of control. But I, what I wanted to say, you wanted about to the, eat, baby. There was yeah. some food on the table. You ate. He hasn't, he hasn't <laughs> eaten in a while. So, well, <laughs> I, in that that like risk, meat, retrospect, meat has no <laughs> carbs, yeah. and you can burn calories while yeah. you eat that meat. Ketogenic, but um. No, for me, sometimes doing the selfies and the videos, and I, it was just like such a mind fuck to be like, is that how me? is that possible? Exactly. Like, I didn't think, that, it's so, if you would have told me amazing. 10 years ago, if you would have shown my new body in February from the neck down, mm. I would have been one of the people on the internet was saying, that's not real, that's yeah. not possible, that's fake, you know? Um, but I always tell, even my surgeon that flew me back out for an expo before I got the, you know, the appendicitis stuff, he flew me out there to like this convention of other plastic surgeons from around the world. And all these surgeons that saw my procedures, they're like, what have you done for your scars? And even my surgeon would get a little irritated when I say this. You know, I put lotion on them and do my thing and do a little bit of tanning here and there. I said, but. And this was it, the skin removal scars. Yeah, the skin removal surgery, especially the one across my lower abdomen. Mm -hmm. For me, the epitome of being in shape is not having any kind of fat on your abdomen. If you got veins in your hips and your V lines, you're there. Yeah. So a lot of times these muscle guys, they got big shoulders, big arms, and they got a pot belly, and you can see they got mm -hmm. fat around. I don't respect that as much because they haven't done the physical part. How do you physically get that, by the way? Just shit eating? Uh, it's always baffled me. A fat belly? Yeah, like fat uh, belly, but like jacked arms. Yeah, but you get some people that are eating, and maybe they have a, a you know, they're able to build muscle, but they never really stay in a deficit, they lose fat, or you get a lot of people that train but drink, and they got more visceral fat. That's, I think the dirty bulk. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. <laughs> like people Which I eat call shit. the excuse you, to eat for three yeah. months. Yeah, but I'm still lifting weights. Mm. But I'll, I'll just add to this whole thing. Like it was crazy to see. I always say like. The, the evolution or the journey of Jude and how it's kind of come back full circle and the, the changes along the way that he's been up and down so many times. I mean, this guy has lost probably over 400 pounds before he lost 311. And it wasn't till he was m almost there. He wasn't there quite. And he'll talk about, you know, m you know what really was the fine tuning set point to, to kind of shift his focus. But I mean, man, you lost, you had a lap band, you lost 60 pounds. You were probably your biggest at 540 in 2008, nine when we met, we lost a hundred and some pounds when you came through, mm -hmm. life kicked you in the face, your sister passed away. You know, you, you kind of like went through these struggles, but you were never really, the foundation was never really hundred percent right. set. You know, and and he did this year after, you know, like he would lose a hundred, put on a hundred, lose a hundred. And, and it's like, not until this final, like, life-changing, almost death moment is when a lot of that shifted for you. Um, and yeah. you started focusing, like, I, I, I'm, I'm there, but I'm, I wasn't 100% ready to receive my gift that I've been blessed with along this way. The near-death stuff was kind of like the icing on the cake. What was the near-death stuff? Because of the popularity of peptides, there's online stores popping up everywhere that are selling subpar products. They have fillers in them, toxins in them, with heavy metals, even mold. Things that can disrupt your hormones and are not getting you the results you're looking for. At T-Clinics USA, unlike these online stores that can pop up and hide in anonymity, our faces are out here and we have a reputation to uphold. We are determined to get you the highest quality products and long-term results so you can optimize your health. To purchase high quality peptides from a real person with a medical degree, go to bit.ly forward slash T-Clinics USA. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash T-Clinics USA. Or if you don't want to remember it, the link is in the description.
Now let's get back to the show. I, I was about nine days out from my original event. February, right? February. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, February 16th. It was my brother had died uh, on his birthday was February 16th. That's how I remember the day. And the event was supposed to be on the 25th. And I just was constipated that day, which never happens to me. And I felt like, a, felt like I had really overtrained my lower abdomen all day. That's all I had. And then I went to the hospital and it, it just got really intense on the way to the hospital. Like I, I felt like a knife was sticking in my side and I couldn't breathe. And uh, they misdiagnosed me. They thought I had a little intestinal blockage from being dehydrated, but it was actually a ruptured appendix and they left me like that for eight days. I started having like, um, I seen my dead brother sitting in the chair on the eighth day, just smiling at me like with pride, like beaming with pride. Real, the one that would abuse you? No, he's still alive. I just oh. He's just kind of dead to me. Gotcha. My younger brother died in 2016. He just he had a heat stroke and a heart attack on a construction site and died. Oh, shit. And he was addicted to cigarettes. You know, he was fit. He was lean. He was healthy. They thought he was 10 years younger than he was. But um, his coronary artery was blocked from smoking two-pack cigarettes a day. So that was another, you know, gifts and lessons and all that. But I never, you know, he died. I never felt his presence or anything until that day, you know, that he died in 2016. This was 2023. I seen him sitting in the recliner in the hospital room, just looking at me, like nodding his head. And then I was kind of um, like floating in dark water is all I can explain it. Like no noise, just like almost like a fetus floating in fluid. Mm. And then the next thing I remember was like alarms and beeping and pumps and they're taking everything off and they're rushing me to surgery. And they're like, you don't have a choice. You can't, I'm like, do I have to sign anything? And they're like, no, 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 you're not going to make it if we don't. And they did exploratory surgery. And they said that when they opened my abdomen, everything just blew out. There was so much pressure. Septic. Yeah. Jeez. And then it got worse because after they figured out it had been a ruptured appendix that they had missed for eight days, then I that incision from my rib cage to my groin got infected and they had to keep opening it and draining it. And then I had five more surgeries in the next eight days, cutting away tissue and muscle. So that's one of the reasons I can't train my abs like I used to until we know if I'm going to need another surgery to kind of, if you know, if mm. we don't know if that abdominal wall is going to give out or not, which so far it has not. And it's still very swollen there. I have this area. I don't have any fat on my abs at all, but it's swollen right where that surgery was. Yeah. A lot of scar tissue and I have some lymphatic fluid issues build up there. I have to wear compression on it still. So I had to listen to my body and be smart. And that's kind of... It sucks. It fucking sucks what happened. But at the same time, it snapped me out of that perfectionism thing, that new addiction, that obsession with getting perfect. Because in my mind, I would work out. I remember seeing Paul Walker in a movie called Into the Blue. Because I never I wanted to. seen anything other than Fast and Furious. Yeah. <laughs> Check out that movie because Jessica Alba, you guys would appreciate her in that movie. But um, I remember seeing him in that movie. He was a little bit more built than he normally was. And Brad Pitt and Troy. Every time I would work out that, I didn't. Rapid Fight Club, That's, a, that's, yeah. what, that's what Blake was. I never wanted to <laughs> be. i baby. I never wanted to be a giant. All these bodybuilders, like, oh, dude, you could be huge. You could be a, I didn't want that because I've been big my whole life. I've worked mm. security. I've been a bouncer. I've picked up skinny guys by their necks and thrown them out. He just wanted ass abs. I just wanted that's to what I call be balanced. I wanted to, to get be ass. like a, like a athlete. You know mm. what I'm saying? And I was getting there, so I would work out and I would just manifest and, and meditate those pictures and in my mind and I was uh, now I look back at the videos like holy shit I was getting there mm-hmm. like I didn't even see it when I was there but it was becoming a new obsession a new addiction for me and it was all about you know earlier we said 
it's okay to take care of yourself so you can take care of others. Yeah. I got so lost in that, I was shutting everybody out. Yeah. That was becoming too narcissistic, too selfish, too obsessed. And well, you were giving attention that Jude never got. Yeah. And in a yeah. way Jude never got. Yeah. I was you even know? probably neglecting my business that I own a little bit. I wasn't mm -hmm. even passionate and wanting to hustle with that. Don't get so busy making a living, you forget to make a life. Yeah. I was getting so busy making a physique, that was my only goal. Tracking every That was your new addiction. Yes. Was there a little bit of freedom though in that focus? Yes and no. Um, freedom in the sense that it was actually working and I was feeling like me, mm -hmm. what I was seeing in the mirror for the first time, like that's the guy I've been envisioning. So that freedom, yes. But kind of an, a prison in a sense because it's the last thing I would think about before bed and the first thing I would think of in the morning and wake up in the middle of the night. So I would wake up in the middle of the night craving a Snickers bar and go to the gym instead. Mm. So freedom I wouldn't think is the right word for it for me. It was too obsessed. It was almost like a prison cell in a way. Gotcha. So this time around, and that's where, you know, a few, one of the biggest things I tell people is to cut out negative people. And still, right up until this event, I had people, some people I can see the motivation. Like when I talk to Jeff about where I'm at, I can see his, he almost gets like a high from my success. Genuinely and authentically, I know this man right here, he is like thrilled that I succeeded for me. Mm. and that he's participated in helping and assisting and teaching me. Some people will look me dead in the face and be like, man, you look awesome. But I can see in their eyes, they're like, fuck this guy. Mm. He's in better shape than me mm. now. Well, I have know, relatives that are like yeah. this to me. That's because everyone will be your champion. They just don't want you to do better than them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's the unfortunate thing because you touched on this as well. And I've seen it and I, I get fucking irate when this stuff happens. Is this is my goal. I... You, you can't do that. That's crazy talk. Oh, yeah. Nothing fucking aggravates me more than people like that. It happened last time I was up north at my in-law's house and the extended family was there. And I'm talking about ice baths. And one of the, uh, like, you know, the health benefits, the psychological benefits of it. And one of the ladies there, and she's, she's a little bit older, probably in her 60s. She's like, I want to do it straight away. Nah, mom, you'll die. Uh -huh. Mom, you know, you'll do this. Nah, I just don't think you'll do it. I was fucking burning. Now it wasn't my. Yeah. I was. I reckon if it went a little bit longer, I would have snapped. But just watching the impact of the people around you who say they love you, don't actually do it with their words. Mm -hmm. They do it like they. It's constantly like, nah, fuck off. You're not that person. Some people, I think, are threatened by your success. It makes them see their failure. But yeah. One of the things I wanted to touch on, and I wanted to talk about this at my event, but I just I felt like we were pressed for time, is on the list of things I wanted to talk about, I, I've stumbled onto this by accident, is like using other people's negativity as your positive fuel. Yeah. And what I mean by that, I had this older lady that comes into my shop, and she hadn't seen me out. She's a snowbird, so I hadn't seen her. And I was really, my doctor wanted me at a certain BMI. for the, He wanted me a little thinner than I wanted to be to get this skin mm -hmm. down, and I said, I don't agree with that. And he goes, well... If we get your frame this size, we're going to button your skin down to it. And then he goes, when you grow onto that, you'll be like a younger guy growing on a mm -hmm. younger skin. So I'm like, you know what? You're right. Let's do it. How much, just cut, so quickly, sorry, pounds-wise, when you cut all the skin off, how much pounds were, did you lose just from skin reduction? It wasn't as much, about 17 pounds, but it wasn't. It wasn't as much? Well, a That's lot of people. That's my baby daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you would think after losing 300 pounds. I mean, and I say that because my, even my doctor, 
He's like, dude, you're in such amazing shape. We tried to lipo, and because I have no ass. I look like SpongeBob SquarePants from behind. <laughs> they were going to take any fat that they could get and put it in my glutes and my butt, you know, mm. um, to help me there because I, I could stand against that wall and touch my toes. <laughs> um, he's like, we couldn't find any. Your whole torso, there was no fat. He's like, kudos. But that's crazy. 17 pounds of skin, though. 17 pounds of skin. That's insane. But, Sorry, um, but back to the people with... Yeah, this lady comes into my shop, and I'm with a client. I'm cutting his hair, and she just screams out because he wanted me to this lower weight. And I knew I was a little thinner than I wanted to be. Mm. This is September of 2021. And she comes in, and she goes, holy shit. Like, she scared me. I, she, she made me giant. She's like an old little Italian lady that smokes cigarettes, and she's about 86 pounds, all like skin cancer. You know the type. Like Magda. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, from that movie. Yeah. And she says, you're withering away to nothing. And it was like so insulting. You're like, you just called me nothing. Mm. You're nothing but a bag of bones. Holy shit. Very negative, right? And dude, I'm Scorpio. I'm Italian. I've been bullied in my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know, I know how to fight with words. Like, I can make you cry with a sentence. <laughs> and I always thought that was a strength. But I think now it's a weakness mm. to kind of just give into yeah. that instead of taking the higher road. And I felt my veins in my neck and the heat going to my face. And I, you know, the C word popped into my head. And I was going to call her, you old smoking, you know, That's whatever. That's charming in Australia. You can call her a cunt. Yeah. <laughs> Not so good here, especially to a woman. <laughs> and I just stopped myself. And I'm like, dude, you're trying to be a different. I said, go ahead and have a seat. I'll explain everything to you when it's your turn. You kind of interrupted me. You know, and my client was like, he knows me. He's like, oh, shit. My hands were shaking. Then she sat in the chair, and I cut her hair, and I explained to her, like, hey, X, Y, and Z. He, oh, that makes sense, this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. So I was doing all my high-intensity stuff. I was doing 30 flights of 12 stairs to get, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, running. I was trying to cut weight for this surgery. And I got to the stairs that day, and it was hot, you know, how it is here in September. And I was like, I don't have, you know, you're at a funeral, and you're trying not to cry, mm -hmm. and you're trying to hold it back. That's how I felt about these stairs and the day I had, and I just wanted to go to Wendy's and to destroy something. I was having a moment, and I thought, I don't think I got it in me to do these stairs today. So I thought, well, let me do these stairs. I'll listen to my body. You know, if I start getting faint or losing side vision, I'll stop. I'm going to listen to my body. So I get on the stairs. I start going. I feel like I got cinder blocks attached to my feet. And I think about this old bitch that said this to me. And I started like practicing in my head what I could have, what I would have said to her 10 years ago, mm -hmm. you know? And I was coming up with some real humdingers and I was thinking about that while I was training. Well, what normally my PR on this, this whole routine I was doing was like 92 minutes. Ended up finishing the whole workout and I finished in 88 minutes. And I felt like a million bucks. And I thought, holy fuck, I just used that bitch's energy to fuel my positive workout. So now when someone pisses me off or like a trauma from my past, I had an ex that cheated on me 26 times and it just used to still irk me. Like so humiliated, I didn't see it for four years, you know? Mm. So sometimes I'll, I picture like a little folder on a computer and like a zip drive and I hide it. Mm -hmm. And some days when I'm having a rough day on my workout, I'm like, what, what zip file am I going to open today? What am I going to revisit? And I'll go through that stage of my life where that four years of that cheating happened. And I'll think about it like, oh, maybe that one time I was told you were in Tampa. That was really a cheating. And I'll use that anger and that rage and that resentment. Instead of using it to eat, I'll use it to fuel my workout and preoccupy my mind on the day that I... If, you know, sometimes I'm going up the stairs and I'm like, oh, I think I'm coming up on level six and I'll look and it's level four. And all of a sudden I'm four times more tired mm. mentally. I'm just like that mountain that we talked about at the event. 
out of sight, out of mind. If you're not thinking about it and concentrating on it and yeah. thinking, oh man, I'm not as far as I thought I was, all of a sudden I'm more tired. But that negativity can actually be your positivity if you utilize it right. Like mm. harnessing a nuclear power. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the BMI thing as well, we, <clears throat> we've touched on it. BMI is such a thwart. It's system. bullshit. Like, I am almost overweight, according mm-hmm. to it. You're I'm probably, obese. You're obese. Yeah. Um, that uh, it's, it's fascinating that doctors haven't mm-hmm. been like, maybe there's some obvious fucking problems. Like, every personal trainer that I know back home was morbidly obese, mm-hmm. according to the BMI. You look at them and you're like, I want that physique. Right. So... And the fact that I look, I, I, I'm like 24.3 and I think 25 is overweight, which is fucking hilarious. Like everyone tells me I need to eat more of a sandwich. So, right. But with with the story of the mountain, can you run everyone through that story? Because that is such a powerful story for people that want to lose weight, want to even just do something better in their life because everyone... I've always said people want to get to the top of the building, but they don't want to go to level one. Right. So run us through that story because it was fantastic. Well, my sister, who was literally my favorite human being, when I lost her, we one of our memories, we had climbed this mountain in Vermont called Mount Pisgah. And there's a halfway lookout, and then there's, you know, we never went to the top. So uh, when I inherited her kids, I would tell them the stories about this mountain and this, that, and the other. And ultimately, I ended up buying tickets for them to go to Vermont to see where their mother grew up and kind of, you know, fulfill these these nighttime stories I would tell them about our Vermont childhood. Well, when he got there, the brother that was really abusive to me and his very negative wife, you can't do that. You're 420 pounds. If you fall, this, that, the other, they can't get rescue up there. Somebody froze to death up there. And they were really putting all this doubt in my mind. Instead of lifting me up and empowering me, they were putting me down and really making me doubt that I could do it. And it took my 11-year-old at the time to get a little upset and be like, hey, listen, I don't want to say their names, but Auntie so-and-so, if he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. My 11-year-old kid reminded me like, hey, I'm not listening to this negativity anymore because I did. I listened to this my whole life. Everybody limited me, you know? So we got halfway to the, half, you know, the halfway point. I took pictures of her kids on that same rock overlooking Lake Willoughby, got my, my, my dream photo of them in the same exact spot. And then they were so excited. They, you know, 11 and 13, they got energy for days and I'm dragging ass. This is, this is like a five mile hike up straight up. And how old were you at the time again? It was 2018. And how much did you weigh? I was probably 42, 41. And I was about four. I had gone down from like 460 to 420, Mm -hmm. maybe 480 to down to 420. Cause I started doing stairs in preparation for that. Yeah. And at 420, I thought it was yeah. thin. I'm like, wow, I, did, I'm getting, I think I can do it. But <laughs> well, that was like your, your your kind of stick point a couple of times. Yeah. You got comfortable. Yeah, You're yeah, like, my I'm body good. seemed to kind yeah. of go back to certain stages. Yeah. 280, 420, 540. Those are like my three stages where my body kind of likes to be comfortable. But um, anyways, this second half of this mountain, shit started to get real for me. My calves were burning. My lungs were burning. I was shaky. I had to, you know, and I just about halfway from you know that lookout to the peak college kids were coming down and they were kind of surprised I was far as I was at my size and I well how much further is it like, oh, 1.8 two more miles but it gets a little bit more extreme and I started thinking this isn't going to work so I was like all right I'm going to quit but then I thought let me just okay I can see the next turn point let me just reassess here take a little break and let me just get to that point see what's around the next corner then I'd get there. I'm like, oh, my God, it gets worse. Let me just take a little rest. 
I don't want to let these kids down. You know what I'm saying? I want to prove that I can. I want to do this for my sister. We always said we'd end up going there someday and, and get to the peak because we never did when we were 13. So I just started getting to each, you know, a mountain kind of has zigzags. You can only see, you know, like those, mm -hmm. the coyote uh, cartoons from when you were a kid. I just kept doing that for the next like three hours. And then uh, all of a sudden I seen a couple more college kids coming down and they were shocked that I'm at this point. And they're like, dude, how much further is it? And they're like, you're there, you're there, bro. You just got to climb that rock face and the, the summit's right there. And uh, I was like, holy shit, I did it. And I and then, then I had to like hang onto these little pine trees and they were breaking and shit. And I got up there and my kids were, and I said, how long have you guys been up here? And they're like, five minutes, 10 minutes. I'm like, it wasn't that far behind mm -hmm. them. <laughs> but in that moment, I when I really thought about coming down from over 500 pounds to, you know, 220, I had that same feeling of that mountain, like, oh, this is just too much to, to comprehend. Just keep eating. Just mm. be, you know, even my own mother used to tell me, just be happy. Just be fat. It's who you are. It's the way God made you. La-di-da. You know? And um, I just started thinking of my weight loss as those zigzags on that mountain. Let me just get to that next corner, take a break, reassess, maybe even take a cheat weekend. Mm -hmm. That's reassessing that's taking a break, you know, and let me start over on Monday to get to the next corner. And when I really equated the two, it made sense to me. And that, now I do that with everything. Even with my book, when I started writing my book, I'm like, this is going to be an 800 page book. Like I can't, it's too much. It's write the first chapter, mm. write the first chapter, get through it, see how you feel, take a little break. You don't have to do this all in a month. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people at the event were like, is your book available? I'm like, no, it's not available. I got a few more zigzags. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I don't want to rush that. I took my time to get to that mountain, and it was worth it. I got a picture up there. I'm, I'm, have you ever seen the picture? Yeah, I think you showed me a little I'm pat I got my favorite like 5X Ford shirt on, and I'm sweat. I'm just sweat. There's a roll of toilet paper next to my head, and I'm just like laying. It was a beautiful day, and I'm just out. Coming down was actually harder than going up. I've always said that. Up a hill is easier oh. than down a hill. My toes were like sliding into the front of my shoes mm -hmm. and they were pinching and my legs were so... I hate it. I didn't have <laughs> enough energy to get down, but I got up. Jude's story is an incredible one, but not everyone needs to lose 300 pounds. It might just be that annoying tire that you have around your waist. It might be that baby fat that is post-pregnancy and just won't go away. It might even just be that little feeling you want to have back where you feel like you have control of your body once again and it's not controlling you anymore. Jude's success started at Nuviva Medical Weight Loss, a Florida-based weight loss clinic where their goal is to give you a new life. Rather than most of these diets out there where they focus just on getting a quick sale and then you fall back off the wagon and you're putting the weight back on again, Nuviva's goal is to make sure that you have the understanding of those ground principles so that you can have a long-term success and keeping that weight off so that you never have to worry about not feeling yourself again. They have coaches that help you every single step of the way with guidance and understanding. They also have different ways in which they can allocate the right diet that suits your schedule, your lifestyle, and also something that is going to be more sustainable, not just now, but in the long term. And also in some circumstances, they even offer certain medications such as the popular semaglutide that will help the weight loss journey speed up and also make it an easier thing for you. So if you want to have that new life and that new feeling in your body, head to NuvivaWeightLoss.com for a free consultation where you can see if this is the right route for you. That's NuvivaWeightLoss.com, N-U-V-I-V-A, WeightLoss.com, NuvivaWeightLoss.com. 
I'll say it one more time, nuvivaweightloss.com. Now let's get back to the show. You mentioned one thing that your mom said to you, which is like, you know, just be happy, keep eating, It's be fat, it's who you mm -hmm. are. That seems to be a very common thing in today's society, which is like the body positivity movement, mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, it, being obese is genetic. It's no. like that. I would love to hear your point of view because me, I've always been like I am through hard work and through great upbringing. So I'm very, very grateful for that. But words like body positivity and then they don't seem like they go well with be happy. No. So what is your opinion well, on this Well, the movement? first person that pops into my mind is Lizzo. Mm. I guarantee imagine you. Imagine being the, the sticker child for being overweight. Huh? That, imagine being the global oh, sticker, yeah. like poster child for and overweight. And he, here's the thing about her. I, I think her music's great. I don't know much about her, but that disgusts me. Mm. And I get it enrages me when she says things like that because you. I think we all know right now if Lizzo was in Hawaii and a genie bottle rolled up on a beach and she rubbed it and a genie popped out and said, what's your first wish? Lizzo's first wish would be like, I want to look just like Beyonce, please. Yeah. I guarantee you without, in, there was a stage in my life where I, I went through that thing where like, I love being fat people. And, and here's the thing. You talk about body positivity. I literally go, people say, oh, now you must get noticed everywhere you go. You're a decent looking dude for, for your age and you have a press. I'm like, I feel fucking invisible. Now, now you've lost weight. Mm -hmm. Everywhere I used to go, and it wasn't positive. Some of it was positive, but most of it was not. Every head would look at me everywhere I went. I'd go into a busy restaurant. I would get attention first. I'd go into a movie theater. People would move up. Airplanes, holy shit. You want to you have 300 sets of eyes on you? Get on an airplane at 540 pounds. It was the worst feeling. I think Lizzo's given up. I don't think she's positive about her body at all. She she feels weak. She feels um, hopeless. And she's trying to find like a false positive. I think she's just fooling nobody but herself. Well, did you see that she accidentally lost weight and got a lot mm. of hate for it? I don't know if you saw that one, but <laughs> she, she lost weight from moving. And then she put out a public apology. I'm sorry. No. I accidentally lost. Like that. It's. It's disgusting. It's it's not it's nice hearing it from someone who's gone through the lost weight because obviously being someone who's always been fit, mm -hmm. you just sound like an insensitive prick. But I've no. always felt like I'm like, hey, you're disassociating and justifying, avoiding your happiness, instead of, hey, can like, I mean, some people like. Uh, I forget the rapper's name, but he lost about 200 pounds and he's like, no, no, shame me. Fat, fat, Joe? fat shame. Like, no, not fat Joe. Um, I'm really, I hate that I'm blanking on it, but he said on Rogan, he was just like, no, right. fat shame me. He goes, the reason mm -hmm. I lost my weight was because my wife fat shamed me. Right. Now, I don't think that's obviously the best thing, but right. there is definitely needs to be more of a, a conversation about like, hey, you, you need to lose weight. You need to be happier and you will be happier and it's a shame that you go on social media and you get attacked for improving your life, mm -hmm. which is always going to happen. But, I mean, Kevin O'Leary said a great quote. He's like, I can think of a couple of smokers that we all agree smoking is unhealthy, but I can think of eight, a, a couple of 80-year-old smokers, pack-a-day smokers. I can't think of an 80-year-old obese person. No. Yet, when you say smoking is unhealthy, even smokers go, yeah. If you say being obese is the leading cause of death, 
people go like, you are a piece of shit. You are, you know, you, you don't have any empathy. It's genetic. And no, it's, it's yeah, it, it, it's it's become one of those things that you're not allowed to really say or talk about. But I would go out on the limb. I don't, I'm not no expert, but I would say that with my experience and what I see, especially in the United States, I bet you if you combine alcoholism, cigarette smoking, and drug abuse, it's probably a less amount of people addicted to those substances mm. or used for anxiety than obesity or food. Mm. I, I, I would almost guarantee you that, the, that food's probably the most abused substance as far as anxiety, depression yeah. in this country anyway. I've also heard that it's the hardest addiction to overcome because it's also a requirement. Yeah. Like you can cut out cigarettes. You don't need it to live. Right. You can well, cut out alcohol. But what you do you can't. do with a baby that's screaming and crying? Yep. You shove a bottle in its mouth to see if that's what it wants. Mm. So from day one, we're programmed like, oh, okay, well, I'm in a bad mood. Stick a bottle in my mouth. I'm sucking down some orange juice. I'm good. Mm. You know? So I think for some people that just goes a step further, but... Another thing I kind of despise is when people call obesity a disease. Mm. You know, you get brain cancer, you got a disease. You have a learned psychological behavior that you inherited from your family's behavior. There's no doubt in my mind if I had been born to two physical, you know, in-shape people that were trainers and had a whole different mindset and didn't have a toxic relationship and addiction issues, I never would have struggled with obesity. Mm. I'm sure there's certain genetics that make you more prone to gaining weight. Yep. You know, I never had the metabolism of, you know, a 17-year-old black kid from Africa who might have a different metabolism than me and, you know, be more athletic than me. But if you give us both the same diet and the same amount of activity and the same kind of manipulation to our brain and, you know, psychological traumas, we're probably both going to grow up fat in the same household, even though we are genetically a little bit different. Yeah. But to call it a disease and kind of use that as a crutch, I don't agree with that. Mm. And a lot of obese people get mad at me for saying that. I'm like, well, I'm not going to sugarcoat yeah. it. It's probably because, and I mean, I've, I've battled with a bunch of different stuff, not health related because my mom was like, I was out of the womb and into the water to do swimming. And I'm right. super grateful for that. Up at 4.30 in the morning, she would take me there. But there was other shit that, you know, it takes a time to start realizing like, hey, I'm responsible for where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And we well, just can't said blame it. it, responsibility. Nobody right. wants to take responsibilities for their easier. actions. It's, it's easy to, to pass it off as like, well, the, yeah. uh, you know, unfortunately it's a, a disease or a process or that's, that's how it's meant to be for me. And it does feel like though we live in a system right now where one, the food that we get, it's cheaper to give shit food, that there's also like part of it feels like there's a narrative not just pushed by the obese community. Instead, it's also pushed by the bigger food yeah. companies. Oh, like, yeah. I, I don't think it's like they're not deliberately doing it you know, laterally. They're just like, oh, no, 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 no. Let's push this body positivity thing because if we don't, this is gonna then suffer. it's going to open up the conversation about, hey, we should probably ban McDonald's or ban half the shit that's allowed in foods. That it feels like there's this huge ecosystem that's built on a financial motivation 100%. to push that Well, think agenda. of it. I mean, if you, this is not any way political or critical of, I mean, we were raised on food stamps in my family. Mm. So for me, I'm not going to go ahead and, you know, I'm not talking negatively about anybody who's receiving any benefits, but why, why would our government allow you to get food stamps and you can go buy Snickers bars and cereal and Hawaiian mm. punch mm. and, and give that to your kids? I think our system's set up to kind of fail because if you're already in an economic situation where you can't afford food, you certainly can't afford healthcare. Mm. 
Yeah. So now you're creating a whole new generation on junk food that is becoming obese that's now going to be a drag on our healthcare okay, system, system. Mm. which a lot of people will pretty much tell you our healthcare system isn't really to get you well. It's just to keep you alive and Sick get you care. coming back. Oh, yeah, we had an episode that came out. Yeah. Two, uh, two weeks ago yeah. from this episode that is so you right got all these <laughs> you got this our government we're you know our taxpayers money is funding obese kids to learn how to have bad habits that yeah. are now going to be on public health care later on and it's just like this big snowball effect yeah. I mean I, I've had that discussion with a few people and they get offended because they think you're automatically attacking them because they receive benefits mm. it has nothing to do with that at all. I would like to see those children that are getting benefits have a, a limited list of what they're allowed to eat on benefits, like WIC. WIC does that, where you can get just certain cheeses, milk, or whatever. Food stamps, you, I mean, I was in Wawa the other day getting a salad real quick, and they're like, we accept EBT cards. You can get a meatball sub with an EBT mm -hmm. card, and we don't see a problem with that. Mm. What's an EBT card? For That's an food stamps. Oh, like okay. Free food if you don't meet, yeah. you know, have enough money but to... He, here's the thing that's weird, and you can add to this probably, when you eat healthy, the items individually are more expensive, yes. Mm -hmm. However, overall life costs is cheaper because of everything else that falls at the wayside. Like, and I think we're, we are humans and animals that are driven by more because we've, we've evolved from less. That, I mean, I have this conversation with my wife constantly. She's like, oh no, but you know, if one of those items is $5, but two is eight, you save money. And I'm like, but I only want one. So it's, it's funny how like sales techniques work where it's like, oh, I'm better off if I buy in bulk because I get a discount, but then you don't want to waste that food. So you eat all of it. Right. But it's like, if I just buy one, I spend $5, I actually save three because I'm not buying two. And I'm also saving the calories now because I'm not eating two that, Part of what I've tried to get when I was a personal trainer was, you know that eating healthy is cheaper. It just doesn't, it's, it's cheaper on the back end. It just doesn't look like it's cheap up front. Well, it's funny you say that. So we used to do um, way back when obviously we went from New Life to New Viva Medical Weight Loss. We did a cost breakdown per each phase of the program on what, what it would cost for a male and female to eat the food that we put on there. And then put it through the common cost of an average American, normal American diet, what they spend per week. And it was like there was almost like anywhere between 40 to like almost $60 savings per week hmm. for the healthy food that was on our plans versus what most people are going to eat. And then if they ate out once a week or when you add it all up, they were actually yeah. saving on average $30, $40 per week on just any given like type of plan. You know, a lot of people are like, well, I don't have money to eat healthy. Like, well, actually, one, you're going to you have, have money to be unhealthy. Well, and then and then think of it. And most people don't, they look at the now, they don't look at obviously 20 or 30 years yeah. from now. It's like how much money you're going to spend just trying to stay alive or. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. This topic just came up because you said something that actually I kind of disagree with you on. Ooh. <laughs> my, I have a 16-year-old at home right now. The other uh -huh. one's in the Marines. He's in high school, and he's got his own car, and he's got his license, and we just had this argument within the last couple of months. His checking account with his debit card is linked to my account so I can monitor his spending. Well, he's ordering Burger King after school sometimes. And with Uber Eats, it's $25, $28, $24 mm -hmm. each yeah. pop. It's just okay? wild. Well, when I, you know, I don't text him about it, I go, I, and I don't try to be confrontational. I'm saying, hey, Noah. You know, why are you spending $28 on Burger King? Oh, uh, well, uh, we were out of chicken patties. One of the things I get for him, we have an air fryer. 
I get them chicken breast patties and I get them hamburger buns, get a little lettuce and tomato and some onion. I cut, you know, he cuts it up. He puts a little shredded cheese on it. He knows how to make that after school. It's not the best thing in the world, but it's certainly not the worst. You know, he'll have two or three of them sometimes. Right. So he's got a chicken breast sandwich on a wheat bun with lettuce, tomato. I'm comfortable with him eating that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll eat it if I'm doing some carbs. Well, we were out of chicken patties. Why he talks like this, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were out of chicken patties. What was I supposed to I go, you spent $28 on some cold french fries, a double Whopper, and some chicken nuggets that were probably soggy as shit. Do you know how many chicken patties? Those bags of chicken patties are $12. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Why didn't you run up to Super Walmart, get the bag of chicken patties, get the, the buns... All that stuff for the week for you would have been $28, but you ate that shit in what? one meal. Mm. I know, you're right. Oh, I just didn't feel like going anywhere. Lack of motivation. He could have had five meals for $28, mm. healthy, instead of getting that stupid Uber Eats. So yeah. when people so say to me- That's what I'm saying. Eating, eating healthy is cheaper. It is cheaper. It just yeah. looks, maybe I misunderstood you yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Because okay, we agree. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, shit. A lot of people will say to me, like, oh, you must be spending a lot more money now, yeah. though. Dude, I used to go to Ming Dynasty Chinese and spend fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah. Twenty years no, ago. Seriously, it's. it's crazy. I would spend fifty dollars a yeah. night on dinner and then go get. You know, you know what I used to eat after my cheap meal, my big meals. I'd go to Hess, <laughs> and I'd get five pints of Ben and Jerry's, different flavors, five. Mm. Five pints of ice cream, and I would watch, like, I remember watching that movie 300 when it came out on a DVD from Blockbuster. <laughs> and I remember I, by the time I get to the fifth one, I would be drinking it. And that, I mean, when I really held myself accountable and took responsibility and said, let me go back to what I used to eat and put that in my, my daily tracker and see what kind of calories and fat I was really doing, those Ben and Jerry's one pint was like five servings. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I would have 25 servings of ice cream. You know, because yeah. well, we, it doesn't satiate you. Like I'm the same. Oh yeah. You give me a steak, and I'm like done. And mm -hmm. yeah, like if you want non hormones, organic, like they get up there. Like I'm paying twelve bucks for yeah. a steak, and it instantly in my head, I'm like, I could go out and buy a burger and have it made for me. But I'm like, eh, whatever. But that I'm full after that for a little bit longer. Yeah. But you give me three blocks of chocolate, gone. Yeah, you know? we were up in uh, Asheville about a year and a half ago, and my buddy was like, "Hey, let's get a Ben and Jerry's ice cream." I'm like, "I don't really haven't eaten ice cream for three years. I don't mm. know." He's like, "Dude, you're on vacation. You're having a free." I said, "You know what? You're right." So I got a little Sunday from uh, Ben and Jerry's, <laughs> and I think I and I told him I used to basically eat five times this every night. Dude, I ate that ice cream Sunday, kind of like we didn't really have breakfast yet. We had like a granola bar. We hadn't. We were gonna wait till lunch. So I ate this on an empty stomach. That fucking ice cream made me so sick. I had mm. to lay on a bench. Mm. And then he was like, come on, dude. You're I go, dude, I'm going to throw up. I don't feel good. I had to take my shirt off. I got like all like, uh, you know, when you first break a sweat when you're doing yeah. cardio, you start getting that shiny yeah. thing. My butthole gets sweaty when I eat ice cream. Is that weird? <laughs> <laughs> not if you're gay. It's not. <laughs> Actually, Sorry, necessary. I'm straight. <laughs> well, there you go. That can be a pre-lube. Just yeah, have some yeah. ice cream. Like, ready. It's a natural lubricant. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it was like that one, th I didn't even finish it. It made me sick. Mm. And I thought, you, you said something earlier about like what rebooted me or what started. You know, I remember when uh, COVID start, when COVID hit, I used to always say, well, you know, if you're Oprah Winfrey and you can take, you got a team of people yeah. and you can take time off and put all your time and effort onto one thing. Well, when COVID happened and we all had to quarantine, everybody was talking about, oh, I'm going to gain weight. I'm going to... 
And I yeah. thought, man, I can't gain any more weight. And I thought, yeah. wait, this is the perfect time for me to reboot everything. Yeah. This is another story. I don't even know that you know this. Um, I started, I had gotten my kids a couple of dirt bikes and I had an enduro at the time, you know, on off road bike, Africa twin. And, um, the kids were bugging me to go in the woods and we were two weeks into the quarantine and I had already lost like 25 pounds. Mm -hmm. I started learning, I started educating myself on ketogenic, but I was combining a lot of keto foods that were also negative calorie foods. Negative calorie foods? Yeah, like foods that take more calories to burn to than they actually have through to through the work. process, yeah. Yeah. So I was making a lot of salads with negative calorie stuff. Yeah. You know, celery is one of them. I always say like more fibrous vegetables in general. They're free. Yeah. Don't count them. Like, so I would just add that fillers. shit ton of that. So when yeah. I combine low carb and all, I mean, most negative calorie foods are low carb anyways. Yeah. But I just started eating huge amounts of food, right? And I was losing weight. And it seemed like we, we were talking earlier about like setbacks that would happen. You know, the, you know, I'm not trying to look for sympathy or empathy, but you know, the stuff with my brother, the stuff with my father, my sister getting murdered, my brother dropped dead, my mother died in 2017, my dog got attacked and torn apart up right in front of me. Oof. Every time I would start and do well, some huge tragedy would come along, and I'd be like, I can't do it right yeah. now. Let me yeah. deal with this. And this happened when I was really trying to change my mindset. We were in the woods, we're driving on the motorcycle. I hit sugar sand, flew off my bike, hit a tree. I don't know if you can even see the scar here. I fractured this shoulder in six places. This was the turning point. I don't know if I've yeah. even told you this. No, you know, this is actually new. I had to get, they wouldn't even let me into the hospital until I showed them my injury because they weren't letting anybody in physicians regional. And they're like, unless it's an emergency. And my shoulder, it wasn't, it wasn't a compound fracture, but you could see my collarbone sticking up through my skin like this. Ugh. My shoulder was dislocated. I'm like, look, and I, my arm was way down here. They said, oh, bring him in, bring him in. So I had to have surgery on my shoulder. It was shattered in six places. This is all titanium now. I get sent home the next day from this surgery, and my buddy sits me down in the chair. I had sent my kids to go stay with my brother because I couldn't even wipe my own ass. And uh, my buddy set me up with all my pain pills and you know this, that, and the other TV remote, and he, he leaves. I had all this healthy food in the house. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, now what? I'm going to sit here for the next fucking six weeks doing nothing with my thumb up my ass in pain? And I'm like, and I, I started having that, like, well, You need least... some ice cream to lube it up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> at least you got pain pills. I'm like, yeah, that's another thing I need to start doing, right? So I'm sitting there all in my mind. Poor me, victim. This isn't fair. I was just starting to lose. I lost 25 pounds the first two weeks. Fuck it. I'm calling Domino's. Mm. This was the biggest gift of my life. So I called Domino's, and the fact that there was COVID, like, hello, thanks for calling Domino's. We appreciate your call. La-di-da, there's an extra long wait because of COVID, but we respect this. We appreciate your business. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, dude, this is what you do. Every single time a tragedy comes up, you just fall off. And it, because I was on hold for like 30 minutes waiting for this, because you had to like order through the website, national thing, and so you couldn't just call the store. I'm like, hang up the phone and don't do it. Hang it up. So I hung up the phone and I said, okay, because I was doing 2,500 calories. I knew what my DCI was and all that stuff. I had done it. I'm going, well, let me see what, like, what my resting caloric rate is. Like, what's it going to take for me to just sit in this fucking chair Maintain and it. stay alive? And why don't I reassess my amounts, my macros to that number and see if I can still lose weight? And I did. And it sucked. And then I thought, well, when I'm good enough to get up and walk, maybe I'll go another 500 calories and I'll start seeing how much I'm burning on my watch and I'll add that much. And that's really where I started, like each like building block to a new foundation, that's kind of where I built everything back. Mm. So that was the first time that I really had a life tragedy of smashing this shoulder and 
said, I'm not going to be a victim of this this time. I'm going to be a survivor of it. And I'm going to use this tragedy to build myself up instead of tear myself back down. And that was really my biggest turning point. I think sending the kids away for a couple of weeks to stay with my brother and just being alone in that and really being able to focus and concentrate and put all my effort on that and really not have any excuses, that was really what helped me. I mean, you had, and at this point, you had all the resources, you had Mm -hmm. the fundamentals that we, you know, we instilled over time, you had the knowledge, it was like, and but unfortunately, and it happens with so many people in weight loss, it's like, life happens, someone dies, you get kicked in the face, and it derails them. And it's so and it's common, like most people tend to, they don't when when life gets chaotic, it's easy to fall back in the things that are so familiar. And it was like, to finally flip the switch on that and and basically just more or less go back into structure and give yourself you know employ everything that you learned and and know that that's your repeated pattern and how are you going to finally break that which is pretty awesome and you know i'll add to it like from right when covid happened you know jude prior to this lost tons of weight off and on and all of a sudden like he did majority of this the last round through covid on his own not Mm. Through our clinic, let not me, with me. Let me stop you there for a moment, though. Yeah. I don't mean to interrupt you. It wasn't directly through you, but I always went back to the fundamentals of what I learned from you in the beginning. And then one of the biggest things that I utilized was that twenty-one day cycle because I would notice my weight loss would kind of start plateau to to taper off yep. around twenty-one days. And I loved the idea. He, you know, he. A lot of people say you need a cheat day. You do, and you eat from the minute you wake up to the minute. He used to always say, "Don't do a cheat day. Just do like a four-hour window in the afternoon because you'll. And even in that window, you're going to eat so much you're going to. And I always say, "Book in the bad time." Yes, yes. Like, and I would do that. So even though it wasn't directly through you, I still remembered even like that cleanse diet, that first phase before you go to keto. I would do everything that he taught me in the beginning. And uh, as my body changed and as my needs changed, I would kind of tweak it because I did get to maintenance phase with you a few Mm -hmm. times. And I knew I learned that from him. And I'm like, I think that there's this thing where I like if I go and I pay someone and I have more accountability, I'm going to stick to it more. That's that's true when Mm -hmm. you need it. But then when you when your addiction is so deep, once you've got man, how many times did I come to you? Like three times. Yeah. And it's like I learned everything I, I could learn well, from Well, four him. little stuff, but like, I just yeah, wasn't disciplined yeah. enough to stay in your maintenance right. stage because I hadn't done the mental work. Right. Yeah. You Absolutely. Know? And I think for the average person that goes and does his program, it that they could probably breeze right through all that mm-hmm. stuff and get to the maintenance phase if it's not, if it's just like, oh, I had two kids and I'm 30 pounds heavier now. I want to do this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. There's no mental trauma there that led to that. There's no abuse. There's no, you know, that person didn't get their genitals burned with light bulbs when they were kids like I did. Mm. You know, that that's that's going to be a program for them that, that's going to be more. I think for me personally, I needed more psychological help. Mm. So I, I needed to, to, I needed to more mental help than the average weight loss patient would yep. need. Get some insight into your testosterone levels for free. There is a test called the ADAM test, and what this stands for is the androgen deficiency in aging males. Now, that's a lot of fancy words to just say, finding out if you have decreasing levels of testosterone. So to do this questionnaire, all you have to do is go to bit.ly slash free ADAM test. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash free ADAM test. Now, if you don't want to remember that or you can't be bothered typing it, just click the link that's in the description that will take you straight to this questionnaire. So remember, this Adam test has an 88% accuracy rating. It's free, and it only takes 60 seconds to complete. Now let's get back to the show. And just before we wrap it up, for that, because 
that really is the start for every problem we have is the brain. Right. What was it that you did that helped you realize the issues? Because sometimes we, we're so deep and embedded in our issues that we've got that we can't see the third, like from the third person view. Mm -hmm. What was it that you did that allowed you to look at that? Because you're very aware of so much in depth, like similar to how I had to go through certain, certain things to figure it out, that it's fascinating to see uh, how you did it. You guys were at my event and you saw the lady I put up in the barber chair that I spun around. Mm -hmm. She was my personal growth coach. That's why I chose her. Mm -hmm. I did a program in Fort Myers called The Journey and I wasn't gonna do it originally, but my brother had dropped dead. I was, be I was close to thinking about doing it, but I didn't think I needed it. I didn't think I needed anything fixed. When my brother dropped dead, my family, Jude, you need to put a funeral together. Jude, you need to do this. Jude, you need to go identify his body. Jude, you need to, Jude, 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 Jude. Like it was all me. Like I'm the person that everybody went to. Jude, you need to set a date. And I said, fuck you all. No, I have a program I'm doing this weekend. I didn't even want to do the program, but I said, no. You guys want to bury him this weekend within three, four days? Then you fucking do it. But I'll do it in a month and we'll have time to fly everybody down. That makes more sense to me. I have an obligation this weekend and I'm doing me this weekend. I don't know why I did that. So but it was like the heel in the ground. It just was, I was it. so tired of being the floor man of the family. I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. Mm. And I went down and identified him and I was like, why did I have to do it? You know, I seen this kid the first day he was born and I seen him the first day he was dead on a slab. It's just too fucking much, you know? So I went and I did this program and I was like, wow, I really needed to be here, you know? And that woman, Jamie, She's the one that put it in my head where you need to, you need to confront your older, you know, sibling that did this to you. You need to figure out where this started. You know, you need to come up with three words that you want to be, and, you know, like your vision boarding. You know, you talk a lot about vision boarding and stuff and people, people would throughout my life would come, if you want something to happen, you need to write it down, put pictures on there, put your head on a body of a physique that you want. And I used to always be <laughs> one of these guys, you know? <laughs> but then I thought, like, when I did that and I go to this mysterious program and they start talking about your vision for yourself and your plan and your foundation, I'm like, wait, I, it opened my mind to thinking, how many people that really vision board and how, much, how many of them were not successful? And the answer was zero. So I started doing all that stuff. That was really where my brain changed, that mm. point. And I even just saying no to my family and saying, I'm not doing you guys. I'm not making everything easy for you this weekend. It's me. Feels selfish and it feels wrong. But that was inadvertently, that was my stepping stone for me. Kind of forgot your question. <laughs> no, it's good. How you change yeah. your, your psychological uh, your mindset, sorry. That was, it was thing. her. It was that. It was the vision boarding and the getting, you know, finding the gifts in the horrible things that happen to you. And it's, it's a very simple concept. I yeah. think a lot of times we overcomplicate things because we want to stay complacent. That's so funny. That's one of the things I had to do too. I was like, everything is fucked. Right. Has a positive to it. It does. You know? Mm -hmm. Even my sister being murdered. I would not be alive today if my sister wasn't mm -hmm. murdered. Guaranteed. And I don't know where her kids would be. And I ha and it's almost it almost makes you feel guilty to find the positives in something that negative. But what other choice do you have? I could have been self-destructive because of that and been a horrible parent to these yeah, kids. Yeah, woe is me. I have to look after them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Poor me. This isn't fair. I never And I never wanted kids. But I never would have experienced fatherhood had this not happened. Mm. You know? Um, getting uncomfortable. Um, self-love. Self-care. Loving certain people from a distance. 
you don't need to be, your family's always going to be your family. But you don't, if they're not loyal to you, you don't have to be loyal. You don't stuck with them. You can create your own circle. You know, you can, you don't have to, I have a sister right now that I tried to talk to her about her addictions and she's basically disowned me because it made her uncomfortable. You're an asshole. You're a bully. You're, you're too blunt. You're self-righteous. Well, mm. it's, it's the old me would have attacked. But now I said, you know what? I don't want to say her name, but I'm still here when you're ready. I still love you. I'm not going to bombard you. I'll still be here for you, but you need to come to me. I'll respect the fact that you don't want to talk to me. I don't agree with it. But you yourself said, had we known what Leah was doing out there and how dangerous it was, we would have pulled her out of there by her hair. Yeah. And that's how I feel about you now, and you're not really letting me do it. So she's choosing her addiction and her substances over her own brother, and that's something I can't be mad or resentful or let mm. that ruin my tranquility. So for me, loving her from a distance and letting her know that I'm still here for her is for her. But it's also for me because if I'm going to lay in bed at night worrying about her and, and having more anxiety and thinking about that, it's going to make me want to fall off my own wagon. So you have to kind of just let go and realize that not everybody's going to be on the journey with you. You might have to say goodbye to some people. That, that realizing that, breaking that loyalty to certain people that didn't deserve it, mm. that was key for me. And it's, it kind of all centers around that thing about feeling selfish. Like, I have to do this. No, you don't. Mm. No, you don't. Well, what is that person going to think? Shut up. It doesn't matter what, it's not my business what that person thinks of my family if yeah. I choose to disassociate. There it's is what I feel. There is know? something so liberating and it's so weird to say, but it's something so liberating about when you feel like you've lost the ones that should love you the most, mm -hmm. nothing else then matters. Yeah. Because I went through a similar thing and we've patched it up now with a chunk of my family. Right. But moving to America was the same thing. And after that, where I, same situation where I was like, all right, cool. I can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. After trying to fix it for years, I just went, cool. And it is interesting that you've gone through the same thing because once you've lost the very people you th – that's the hardest people to cut off in your life. Yeah. But once you comfortably have cut it off and be like, I'll be fine, it's life-changing because now you're like, all right, everything only matters as much as I care about it. Right. Which is also like people go like, oh, that's so negative. I'm like, actually, it's kind of liberating. It is. Because you know when to hold on to something and when to let it go. Now, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Mm -hmm. And I said earlier about I'm trying to work on looking at and labeling and judging somebody for what their deficiency might be, just like everybody used to do to me. But I have to kind of forgive my sister because when I was 500 plus pounds and people would try to shove something down my throat about change, I would I would order a pizza right in front of them just to be funny. Yeah, I wasn't ready. Nobody I was, was fighting gonna, back. Nobody was going to make me change. My father tried. He tried to tell me one summer, for every pound you lose over the summer, I'll give you five dollars a pound. And I was irritated. I'm like, oh, you're not cool with me the way I am. I gained weight that summer just to spite him. Hmm. It's, it was like a control thing. A pound? Huh? Did you pay him five dollars no. a pound? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Seems like a one-way one -way deal here. <laughs> so I can't be upset with my sister because had she been the one that's still alive, had she been the one trying to force me to lose weight, I would have been like, you know what? Stop calling me. Yeah. I might have chosen that addiction over her or at least just told her, you know, fuck you. I'm not doing it. Drop it. You know what I'm saying? So I, I know where she's at because of that judgment thing that I've been trying to work on. I can't be angry with her. I'm disappointed. But I'm, you know, and I've reached out to her kids a couple of times. And it's just, it is what it is. They kind of agree with her. I'm like, you, you are mean to our mom. She feels attacked. I'm like, well, 
Your hair's so falling you out. Do. You know, what do you want me to do? Not yeah. much you can do. Well, your story is inspiring. I hope a lot of people get a lot of value from it because it's so much more than just losing weight. Right. Which is something that isn't spoken about enough. So I'm, ex I'm excited to see when your book comes out. Step-by-step, mm -hmm. step, zigzag, zigzag. Yes, that's right. Um, so for people who want to reach out to you who need a bit of help um, because you've done it first, they might be like, ah, I, you know, before calling you Viva Two Clinics or wherever they are in America, if they're not in Florida, where can they reach out to you? What's, what's the best place? Uh, they can follow me on Facebook. I'd rather they follow me instead of friend me because I'm almost maxed out on Facebook. Too popular? No, it's just I have a lot. Of, <laughs> when that video went viral, a lot of people added me, and I, I proved them yeah. more than I should. The people I don't really know. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather them just follow so they can see what I post. You know, um, And it, my Instagram is, is released311, and I have a TikTok that's just all about my, my journey, which is released311 as well. Perfect. So if they want to follow there, you know, I'll, I'll try to start posting as much content as I can there. But, um, yeah, that's that's basically the, all of my social medias. Release311. And my Facebook is my full name, Jude Sanicandro. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. And guys, if you, if you found value from this or there's someone you think might need to hear the story, please share this podcast. It's not about being a martyr or telling them this is what they should do. Maybe they might find some connectivity or something where they, they, they might connect with Jude's story or parts of it that could help improve their life because that's the goal with everything that we do here. So subscribe if you already have if you haven't already and 10% off for Man Lab listeners just go to bit.ly forward slash tclinics USA and thanks again dude. Thank you. You're inspiring. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. Peace. Peace.